Hi, welcome to another edition of Stargate Sundays. I'm Ryan. I'm Ryan. He's Kevin. I'm Kevin. There we go. We're switching sides this time around. Uh, so this episode's called the First Commandment. Uh, the number, uh, sorry, the air date was August twenty second, nineteen ninety seven. I decided uh, to do something fun. There. I was going to say, I was gonna, we should do something fun with these air dates and see what was going on in the world around this date. Okay, okay. Uh, I looked it up. Nothing, was, nothing important happened on this date at all uh, <laughs> in any of my research. So if anybody can find something, please uh, tweet us or, or send it on our Facebook. Um, this episode was written by Robert C. Cooper. Um, he was an extremely prominent writer for SG-1, uh, SGA, and SGU. Uh, sorry. Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. There's just a mouthful to say. Yeah, it's a lot of uh, letters there. Yeah, yeah. They're usually referred to in, as acronyms as SGA and SGU, um, respectively. But um, Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe were sort of the brainchild of Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright. So as Jonathan Glasnar and Brad Wright were sort of responsible for SG-1, um, Robert C. Cooper and Brad Wright were responsible for Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. Okay. So I think uh, Robert C. Cooper is pretty important when it comes to Stargate Atlantis, and he becomes pretty prominent when it comes to certain major backstories that play um, later on in the series. Uh, we'll see. We'll see a little bit of it in The Torment of Tantalus when we get to it in in season one, it's called the Alliance of the Four Great Races, um, which are made up of uh, the Ancients, the Asgard, the Nox, and the Furlings. Now, those names may not mean much of anything to you right now, but they will in a few episodes. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure there are some pretty prominent opinions about furlings, right? Yeah. You know, they look like giant. They wear koalas. those suits, and they like uh, like to, you know. Do their stuff. They and, suffer from like, uh, the wolf disease. And certain probably. politicians think that people are wearing them to school and using oh litter God. boxes. That's that's what we're talking about, right? No, but we're pretty close. We're probably on the same wavelength. <laughs> okay. Uh, he does. Uh, so Robert C. Cooper makes a cameo in a later episode called uh, Wormhole Extreme. Wormhole Extreme. This isn't for quite a few seasons, but Wormhole Extreme is essentially a, an in-universe version of Stargate. Oops. So, at some point, a character finds out about the Stargate program and makes a um, an entire series about it, which doesn't last very long. It's kind of meta in that respect, and it's them sort of making fun of it because it is kind of super ridiculous, even more campy than <laughs> the already existing campiness of SG-1. Um, another fun fact about him, he's he actually did uh, he did work on Dirk's, uh, sorry, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh, God, I love that series so He was much. a writer, director, and producer for a number, <coughs> oh, sorry, a number of episodes on there. I, I enjoyed that so much. Wow, yeah, that's Have probably... Have you seen it at all? Uh, no. no, I've always wanted to. Is it? Doesn't it have Elijah Wood? It does. It has Elijah okay. Wood in it, and it's great. I was very, I'm very interested to see it, but I never. 
I ended up like not having cable when it first came out, and I was just like, whatever. I'm never gonna watch it. It's now. so good, and it's so sad that they canceled it. Yeah, it was only like two seasons, right? Two, yeah, three, somewhere in there. And then just when it was starting to get like super good, of course. Yeah, I did watch something called Stand versus Evil or Stand Against Evil. That's all right. I with, like that. Uh, okay, I've only seen a couple episodes though. With Doctor Cox, that was a very funny show. I liked mm-hmm. that. It was such a different character for him too. Like he was an inept, incompetent sheriff who just happened to be really good at fighting demons for some reason now, along those same lines ash versus the evil dead is a good one <sighs> also very good and you've got to watch all of the um evil dead movies oh yeah 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 With, army of darkness is undoubtedly of, my favorite yeah i even got my wife to to watch some of those <sighs> shot smart she actually shot enjoyed smart. it yeah she definitely got it like she got the idea that it was all satire, and she was on board for it, which was pretty cool and very interesting for her because she usually hates stupid shit like that. So this one uh, was directed by Dennis Barry. Dennis Barry for all your Barry needs. He worked on two episodes of SG One in season one, and then we never hear from him again. The only other prominent stuff that we ever hear he ever does. According to his IMDb, was he wrote? Uh, sorry, he directed some episodes of Highlander and Highlander: The Raven TV series. I can honestly say I've never seen a single episode of that. I kind of remember it, but I don't actually remember any episodes in, in particular. Like I never really watched that at all, but I remember it. I remember commercials for it at least. Um, but yeah, that I mean, he he recently passed away last year. And he hadn't really done anything other than that. So he wasn't a really prominent director, as far as I could tell. So, anyway, okay. let's jump right into the synopsis for this episode. Uh, SG-1 is on a mission to retrieve SG-9. This is the first uh, episode where we could see SG-9. Um, they've been declared MIA on a planet called Avnail. Uh, oh, no license plate? It does have a license plate. I don't think they really mention it very much in the episode, but it does have a license plate. It is P3X513. Ooh, Ooh. mysterious. They do like to use that P3X quite often. Eventually, they do. The team soon discover that the leader of SG-9, Captain Jonas Hansen, played by William Russ. You may know William Russ from Big Things. What is it there, Rye? What do we got? Uh, world meets boy. <laughs> world meets boy, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> boy meets um, world. Boy meets he, world. He plays the uh, Corey and Eric's father in Boy Meets World. Um, to to be honest, everything he was in so many things. He is a consistent working actor, even though he plays one-off characters constantly. He does a great job, though. He was in he was in he was in shows like The Sopranos, The Young and the Restless, Nine O Two One O, Twenty Four Numbers. He's been in so many different shows that are prominent shows throughout pop culture. I'm I'm like surprised that I've never seen him in anything but SG One and Boy Meets World. That's yeah, what, I mean, weird. I think you see him, you just don't recognize that it's him. No. No. And this was this was um, only four years into um, 
Boy Meets World at the at the point of this air date for this uh, show. So he was well into Boy Meets World, and he probably knew it was well on its way to becoming a pretty pop culture phenomenon. So he just took some extra work on the side, and this will happen to be one of them. Yeah, I think, you know, just got bored of doing that, and so just took something different. Mm-hmm. So um, Captain jo- Jonas Hansen plays um, or poses as a god of the uh, for the planet's inhabitants who willingly protect him. And SG-1 must interfere and stop Jonas before it's too late. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum. Uh, some of the care, some of the prominent actors that we see. Um, William Russ, obviously, as Jonas Hansen. Um, you said that the Lieutenant Connor was, was something interesting. Yes. Um, Lieutenant Connor is Roger Cross. He shows up in 24. Uh, the series yes. with Super Sutherland as uh, Agent Curtis, and he's in a lot of episodes. Yes, he, he was a very prominent character, according to IMDb in there. Yes. Um, he's a great actor. I really enjoyed him in that series. Yeah, I won't I won't consider the, um, the other lieutenant, uh, Matthew Baker, the one who is working with Jonas Hansen in this uh, episode, a prominent actor, because it doesn't seem like he's got a lot of acting gigs going on for him. But he was prominent in SG-1. Um, even though his character ends up perishing at the end of this uh, episode, he plays a bunch of different characters. Like, they bring him back and reuse him as different background characters, essentially. Not yeah, necessarily I mean, extras. Like but... He hasn't had much after 2017, but uh, he's had a couple things a year. Yeah. Not, I mean, nothing crazy, but we're talking... I think at one point he played a Jaffa in later seasons. Um, a pretty, a pretty douchey Jaffa. Dude takes himself way too seriously, as far as I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a little bit about the planet. The planet's called Avnil in this one. P three X five one three. Like I was saying, uh, it suffers from intense solar radiation, so there's very little atmosphere, which allows for extreme ultraviolet ultraviolet radiation. Uh, but obviously, you can tell right away that there are no birds or small rodents or any sort of. Well, animals. that's yeah, that's something they say after they get in there. It's like, yeah. oh, there's all this foliage. Yeah. There's no birds. Yes, exactly. Uh, they should have just thrown on some blue blockers, and then there's birds all over. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's get into this uh, this episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um. So it opens pretty interestingly, where they. Uh, they have one of those sequences that I really like where they just sort of have um, someone running in the dark from uh, an unknown entity. Yes, the uh, the fear of the unknown. Oh, yeah. But uh, then you actually get a view of all of these uh, unknown entities right, right away. And some of them look like uh, cheap primitives. Like, you know, how they have the weird straw hair. Feels right. a little like. Um, Do you ever see Scooby Doo? <laughs> Which one? The first live action movie. Uh, yes, but a long time ago. Really? How could yeah. you? <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. It was it's very been good. a while. But um, you know how they had those masks with the fake cheap straw. That's sort of what it reminded me of, even though they weren't really wearing masks. Some you of know them. what it reminded me of? Um, and this is going to be like a way back callback to like 
way long time ago. It was uh, Sigmund the Sea Monster. I uh, can't say that I'm familiar with that one. It, it's like a it was like a children's show from like I want to say the seventies. Um, it had like songs and everything, but the costumes were like, eh, eh, <laughs> really cheap, um, cheap and and basically yeah, bought at the dollar store. Extremely cheap. Um, but it reminded me of that, or or that they decapitated a bunch of grimaces. <laughs> I think, yeah, no, the no, those masks reminded me of something very specific. The bullet-looking masks that mm-hmm. look like they're made out of clay, like someone took a vase and just propped three holes into them. Those remind me of classic Doctor Who, um, the Centaurans, like the original Centaurans from classic episodes, 1960s, 1970s. Okay. They, they're basically potato-looking people for, for those who don't, uh, no, but if you look up classic Doctor Who Centaurans, this is exactly what they look like. They're... I should criticize myself for saying they look like grimaces, because as we know, nothing can kill the grimace. <laughs> nothing can kill the grimace. But yeah, they look exactly like Centaurans to me, and it's 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 absolutely the best because very uh, very few people remember the old Centaurans. They were they knew they see the new ones, and they actually look like potatoes now. Potato. But these ones look like old rusted potatoes. Like gross ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're being chased by potato people and uh, cheap knockoff um, Scooby-Doo guys. And then all of a sudden you see the one guy has a dart in his um, in his back which reminds me a lot of the um, when, when Nature Calls. Ace Ventura. <laughs> you remember the scene where he's being yes. chased and he's got like six darts in the back of him and he's like, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> kind of no. reminds me of that, so but great. they're they're being chased and, this, and one of the guys ends up falling and the other guy runs to the gate and uh, he's about to send his IDC. He does send his IDC, I believe. After he sent the IDC, he goes back to find his other buddy. In this case, this is Connor, who's managed to open the gate and he goes back for Frakes, I believe is his name. And he Frakes is like, no, I can't go any further. Just go get out of here. Uh, and then he sort of disappears, but doesn't actually go back to the gate. And that's when we catch our first glimpse of uh, Jonas Hansen. Uh, he shows up and they ask, or uh, Matthew Blake, I believe asks what he should do with the, uh, with the body. He's like, let's burn it. I don't know about you, but that's got Lord of the Flies written all over it. I mean, if it was Lord of the Flies, wouldn't they eat the body? It's pretty, it's pretty gross. I mean, I think the yeah. idea behind it was they were going for people who are civilized that end up becoming uncivilized because of the situation. Okay, I can uh, see that. I think that's what they were going for, really, and they went pretty dark with it. And they do mention that Jonas Hansen is Black Ops, or former Black Ops. Okay, former Blops, got it. So... Of course, his first reaction is to get rid of all evidence, because what the hell's the point of having it sitting around? Other than the fact that it's going to get rotting and infected and cause more infection and all that jazz. And in classic crazy fashion, they do it sloppily, so there's still evidence. Yeah, exactly. So there's like bits and pieces of him left. I think there was a piece of rib. There should have been been a lot more. uh, I think there's actually part of the harness left. There should have been the there should have been a hell of a lot more left, like a skull, 
Yeah, if they're some... just burning it out in the open, that's it's not going to do that much. Yeah, it's like they ran out of budget for a skeleton. which is okay i mean this is not really that much of an importance they couldn't use the giant uh paper mache bones they made for the last episode yeah yeah jesus so they obviously they obviously couldn't uh afford it this time around (laughs) uh this the next thing that ends up happening is uh we just see sg1 come through the gate to this uh planet uh and they end up dropping abydos as a reference for the fact that Abydos must be the exception of the rule, because most of the planets they've been to so far have, like, plant life and fresh water available and seem to be thriving. Abydos was a giant desert for no other reason than it was a giant desert. Yep, just like the planets in Star Wars movies where it's the forest planet or the ice planet or the desert planet. Most of the planets that we've seen so far seem pretty similar. Well, I mean, you know, there's only so many location shots they can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are only so many backlots they have available to them. Yes. Uh, but Big Papa T mentions something interesting. Uh, Teal mentions that he, that the Gould are responsible for terraforming the planet at one point or another. And I'm like, that's funny. They haven't really gotten into the lore of how the, the Stargates were built. They're still um, going on the premise that the Gould are responsible for being the gate builders. Which is, I mean, at this point, they don't really know anything else. They don't know anybody other than the Gould who are powerful and can basically act like real gods but aren't actually gods. I mean, as far as I know, I have... Uh... I mean, you haven't really watched as much of this series as I have, so... Yeah, definitely not. As far as you know, the Gould are it. They're the tippy-top of the structure. The big boys on the block. Yeah, they are going to be broken wide the fuck open in a couple of of episodes. So what what ends up happening is they're, they're investigating what's going on, and they end up running into Connors, who, like, rambos his way out of this... This camouflage she's been sitting in all day long, or all night long, I should say. And he, like, yep. comes up on uh, Daniel, who seems to be alone. In, like, one smooth motion. is like, wow. <laughs> he just jumps, jump. It was pretty quick, too. It like, was. I would have been taken by surprise. Not that I'm, you know, a good reference point, but anybody. You're, you're would like have been... a cat. You're aware of all angles at all times. <laughs> Everybody would have been surprised by this. It was so fluid. And it's just got Daniel by the by the neck, who he doesn't know at all. And then Jack shows up out of nowhere, Black Ops style, because he is former Special Forces. And and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got a gun to your head. You're going to have to deal with me now. <laughs> Which I find to be hilarious. And then like, he's like, O'Neal? <gasps> O'Neal? You guys are from Stargate oh, Command. It's not like you've got it written on your... Uh, on a friggin' outfits. It's, yeah, it's not like you have several patches. Yeah. What the hell, guys? So, <laughs> so he's talking to Carter, or Connor, sorry, and he's um, figuring out what's going on, and Connor mentions how Jan, Jan, uh, I want to say Jansen, every single time. Jonas Hansen. Jonas Brothers? Hansen Think Brothers. Bop. 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 Jonas Hansen. 
<laughs> Jonas Hansen uh, has gone crazy. He's essentially uh, acted like the god. He's and essentially Marlon Brando from Apocalypse Now. I think there's a there is a connection between that in here, and I need to find it real quick. It it definitely like smacks of um, the scenes with Marlon Brando uh, in the cave when he's pontificating. They do mention. I think that that the plot of this episode is is possibly loosely based on Apocalypse Now or or Heart of Darkness, and more specifically. Well, yeah, those are all kind of related. Yeah, inspired uh, by each other and whatever. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's very Apocalypse Now. Um, even the cave uh, aspect to the whole thing. That's pretty. Mm-hmm. That's pretty consistent with with what's going on in Apocalypse. Yeah, they're kind of like dark lighting. You know, a brooding, endless, brooding, yeah, brooding, a brooding uh, cult of personality kind of guy mm-hmm. who ends up taking over and basically turning everyone into crazed lunatics. Although yes. he, he himself is the crazed lunatic. Um, he sure is. So after Connor explains all of this, uh, he tells Carter or Jack tells Carter. To go back, uh, but she ends up refusing because she, as she mentions, mentions that she shared a relationship with Jonas Hansen at one point. Oh, what kind of relationship? Well, we end up getting to find out that they were engaged at some point in the, uh, oh, in the, in the past, which is crazy, shit. crazy to think of. And I know some people will think that that having past relationships makes Carter seem weak. I think it makes her seem pretty strong. Like she know, especially when we come to find out this dude's personality is super abusive, super abusive, super manipulative. He's a narcissist, a megalomaniacal narcissist. You um, don't say. And it makes her it makes her personality seem a lot stronger. It really builds her character as well as giving us a little intuition about the uh, prime antagonist in this episode. Well, yeah, getting out of those relationships can be dangerous. I mean, there's a million, uh, there's a million you know, true crime things where <laughs> like somebody, you know, failed to get out of a abusive relationship or a controlling relationship like that. Yeah, the first the first place they always check is uh, is the significant other nowadays, or at least that's what they say. Hollywood says Carter refuses uh, to take back uh, Connor uh, back through the gate. And it's like, ah, oh, we're just, we're not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. It's not happening. And then establishing the uh, history of making bad choices. Yes. Yeah. She does. She does tend to get herself into trouble, and I'll get into that in a second. Oh, uh, not just her. It's like everybody in this series kind of to drive the plot makes a bad choice. There are a lot of them, but then again, that was '90s television for you. A lot, oh, of the mean, plot, yes. a lot of the plots got moved forward by making a choice that the audience wouldn't necessarily make in the first place. But yeah, it definitely isn't like now where they want you know we want a little bit of realism mixed in with our fantasy. Uh, I also like I also like having that campiness pointed out sometimes, and and a lot of shows are doing that nowadays where they point it out. Yes, the satirical they make it nature of it. That yeah. is that campy. Yeah, yeah, especially uh, shows like Rick and Morty. Community mm-hmm. did that a lot. Community did a great job of doing that. Uh, speaking of, I mean, both of those were written by the same guy, so can't right. really go wrong there. 
<clears throat> so anyway, then uh, Jack turns to Connor and he's like, well, you should go through back through the gate because you look like shit, essentially. And then Connor's like, no, sir, if you're going to go in and take care of Hanson, I, I'm going to I'm going to go in there. And he's like, uh, does it not say Colonel on my uniform anywhere? <laughs> Spoiler alert, it doesn't say it anywhere on his on his outfit at all. Uh, and fun fact, it is it is brought up several different times throughout the seasons, uh, especially in that Wormhole Extreme episode. That, that nobody listens it, to him. It, no, no, that it, no, not that nobody listens to him, but the Colonel thing about being oh, okay. on his uniform. Um, the guy who's playing Jack in the Wormhole Extreme episode ends up saying something along the lines of, and yes, it does say Colonel on his on my uniform, even though it doesn't actually say Colonel on his uniform or Jack's at all, which I find. <laughs> that's a that's some really lighthearted humor right there. That It's a really nice callback. That's a nice way to acknowledge the mistake and be like, yep, it yeah. happened. Yep, we screwed up, guys. My bad. Um, so after all this, then they decide um, they're just going to camp out for the night and take care of everything in the morning. But Hanson, uh, with Baker, Baker ends up coming up to Hanson at some point and saying, uh, SG-1 is here, just like you predicted. And then uh, William Russ, and God bless this man, he 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 held this entire episode up on his shoulders. Oh, like, yeah, I'm not saying... I'm not saying anyone else did a bad acting job, but if not for him, the antagonist would have seemed like, like other than the fact that he is Looney Tunes, just Looney Tunes, and not the good kind of Looney Tunes, the bad kind of Looney Tunes. Yeah, like the cartoonish villain is. Oh, yeah, way know, too, way too entertaining. Yeah, more cartoonish instead of uh, satire and, uh, and and parody, which is nice. So he did a really great job as an antagonist, and I never would have pictured it for him if not for watching this episode. Yeah, I mean, it, it really seems to just be, like, core, solid acting. And it, frankly, like, I think this really shows where the show's going to go as far as quality. I was, uh, because I was, yeah, I was going to really mention one that. Of the top uh, episodes so far, I would say, for me personally, I, the best episode so far. Yeah, the writing really took uh, like a notch up, super notch up. Um, it 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 just got brought to a different level because so far the writing hasn't been the best. It's been real cartoonish, but this this story actually makes a lot of sense, and it was really good acting. And it's just it's another level. This is where everything breaks out, in my opinion. And this yeah. is why I love this. this you show. Can, I mean, you can see it for sure. Yeah. There is a there's a different level of, of expectation after this episode though too, but we'll get to that. Talk about a stare though. After after Baker mentions that SG one is there, uh, William Russ pulls off his dog tags and then stares into the camera. And uh, I'm not really sure what they were going for, but it works. You know what I'm talking about? The little brood stare that he gives. Yeah, the little like uh, squinting. Squint yeah, like, I don't get like I don't know what they were going for, but it works, and that's probably all Russ right there. Has absolutely nothing to do with the writing. It was just all him. <laughs> and yeah, it was probably it was... it was probably like a little throwaway that they were doing, and uh, they're like, oh yeah, sure, go for it, whatever. You and... know, just, just play with it. Do 
do what you think your character would do in that in that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And it just ended up being like just a, take oh, your yeah, dog, yeah, yeah, take your dog tags off and stare into the camera like a like a brood or brooding, <laughs> like a brood, like a brood. So they end up going a uh, make camp, set up a perimeter. They're getting all cozy and comfy, um, and they decide to take uh, shifts in uh, in watch. Um, Connor ends up waking up in sort of a weird way, and he makes his way over to Carter, who I believe is watching at that moment, and he's like, hey, I'll take over. But what I want to point out in the background is Big Papa T. Do you see what he's doing at that moment in time? In the I camp, don't remember. Camp scene. So in the camp scene, he's meditating. Now, I don't know if they've mentioned this at, at this moment in time, but Jaffa don't really sleep. They go into a deep meditative state called Kelno Reem, and I don't think they've mentioned it yet in any of epi- any of the episodes we've watched so far. Uh, no, they de- definitely have not. Yeah, so the Kelno Reem is, this is our first viewing of Kelno Reem. He essentially goes into a deep meditative state, doesn't really sleep, but it's to keep him in balance with the symbiote. Because if he goes without it, he basically becomes us without like days of sleep. Pretty much go insane. Okay. And his body starts to shut down, his immune system goes all funky, and pretty much from there it's crazy. So this At is our first point. Does the symbiote just take total control? No, no, no. Jaffa can't be taken over by symbiotes. They're genetically, essentially, they're human incubators. They can't be taken as hosts. I, I really, they don't, they don't discuss it a whole lot, but I do know so, that they can't be. So taken they're working over. with their symbiotes instead of for their symbiotes. <sighs> no, they're definitely working for. They're definitely slaves to the Gould. <sighs> it's like they genetically manipulated humans to have a giant sack in their stomach, where they put the infant Gould, who then grow, grows and matures over the course of three to four years, I think is what it is. And then eventually, once they become mature enough, they pull that sucker out and stick it into a host. And then they get another one. Okay. They're, yeah, they're human incubators. That's all they but... really do. But if they, if you were to pull the symbiote out of the Jaffa, yeah. they would die. The, uh, the the goulds uh, are acting as immune systems for which is which they mentioned um big papa t can't really be affected by bacteria or viruses because the goulds essentially acting it's as its immune system and it's almost the perfect immune system okay so, all right okay so yeah feel free to throw those questions at me i love those love uh, i will yeah, well, I'll get into those technical questions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the this is the first time we see that, and um, then at some point Connor gets they get into a giant fight with all the potato people again, and the straw people, as I will call them from now on, the potato straw people, the yes. potato straw people, and Connor is captured at some point, and then it's like, oh shit, Connor's been captured. No, now shit. what are we gonna what are we gonna do? I so, can tell you what they're gonna do. Yeah, we know we know what they're gonna do. They're gonna end up going to uh, the mine uh, where they are building a temple. Now, I sp- I don't know about you, but I spent a good portion of the time sitting there watching these people 
trying to find an extra who was doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. <laughs> but I couldn't, I couldn't find any. I was really surprised. Wow. They were all doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. Or I have terrible eyesight and I didn't see any. So <laughs> I was like, damn it. I really wanted to like say one of these extras was like throwing a hammer, but he wasn't actually hitting the rock or something. But nope. They're all doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Although one of them was, uh, there's one guy who ends up hitting a rock with the blunt end of what looks like an axe. I didn't think that was out of the ordinary, but it could have been. So I did try looking for extras, but I didn't find any. So that was unfortunate. What did you uh, see? I feel like this one didn't have quite as many as uh, some of the other episodes. I mean, that entire mining scene had to have had at least 30 or 40 extras. I guess. Anyway, so the mining scene, they get to see what's going on. We end up finding out um, what Jonas Hansen loves to do to people, which is crucify them, apparently. Very bib- real crucify. Like, really, very biblically crucify them. He ends up putting. Um, or we end up seeing at least four prisoners, including Connor, attached to wooden stakes, left out in the hot sun with super ultraviolet radiation, pretty much left to die. Yeah. Like, uh, seems like a bit of a harsh punishment. Um, this dude, look, are we forgetting this dude's a megalomaniac? Couldn't he, like, spank them or something? Ha <laughs> ha! I suppose. Do we yeah. really? It seems really megalomaniac. doesn't really have the biblical implication of crucifixion, but I suppose it's a solid start. Yeah, yeah I mean, you got to start somewhere. You can't go straight to crucifying. I mean, we were we grew up in uh, Catholic households, I imagine, or at least Christian households. Why not soap in the mouth or something like that? No, sir. We celebrated Festivus. <laughs> Feats of strength. Feats of strength. <laughs> We come upon this uh, group of crucified um, prisoners. Uh, most are half dead. Connor seems like he's getting there. Jack is like, I'm going to go down and I'm going to investigate. I'm going to get Connor out of there and we're going to get the hell out of here, pretty much. So Jack takes off and Carter's like, you stand ready in case we need to bust in the front door. By busting the front door. <laughs> by busting the front busting? door. What are they busting? Yeah, busting. Busting, busting bustin a nut. No, essentially what they were going to use as a backup plan to get in was uh, Carter's relationship with Jonas Hansen. She is fully convinced that she is the only one that can reach in and that what she says will somehow shut him down. She How does th- that go, Kev? I mean, she thinks that, but I am pretty certain that so does uh, Jack. Strategically, it makes a lot of sense. They're finally making decisions that make sense. Uh, so they tell they tell all two of them, all three of them, to sit there, and Jack's going to go investigate and see if he can uh, break loose Connor. He goes down, and then in the meantime, um, Carter makes one of her bad decisions, one of her most, one of the most uh, stupid decisions you could possibly make, just to save someone's life. I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So. She... I mean, what does she do, Kev? What does she do? Yeah, so she's looking in her binoculars, her binoculars, and uh, she sees Matthew Blake. Like, this dude, I don't feel like he was acting. Like, I could get the sense that he does this at home, 
this was the intent. This was the intensity of which he yelled at this other guy. He he didn't seem like he was he was acting at all, and it was kind of scary. So he starts yelling at this douche to get to get up, or I'm gonna beat you. Do you really want me to hit you? Do you really want me to shoot you, kill you? Uh, like the Stanford prison experiment, where you know they were they knew that the people in the cells were like just people in the experiment, but they got so into the role that they literally like abused these people and why there are like ethical standards for psycho psychological testing. Yeah, you can't do shit like that anymore. Or the something very similar to the Tuskegee experiment. Where yes. they uh, refused to give people penicillin during a trial run of what syphilis will do to the body. Because they wanted to know what it would do to the body. Yeah, com- completely and totally un- unethical. Unethical, because they found a cure for it, essentially, with pen- the invention of penicillin, like, two, three years into the experiment. And they let it run its course, where they let people just simply die of syphilis, which is not a disease you want. Well, it's not like there weren't records either, because people had been dying from syphilis for a long time before that. So It didn't make a whole lot of sense. It was... <laughs> But that's what we're our, saying totally unethical. Yeah, this was a foray into unethical science, and why the reason we we have ethics standards and rules. Carter's looking in her binoculars. She sees this Matthew Baker, uh, Lieutenant Matthew Baker, go off on this guy, and she's like, "I gotta save him, or else he's gonna die." And I'm like, ah, "Carter, he could probably die anyway." Like, what are you doing? You're going to give away your position, you're going to get into trouble, and why can't we wait for Jack? He'll be back in, like, five, ten minutes. Oh, that guy could be dead by then. He's probably already dead. I'm not going to be a dick. I'm I'm not trying to be a dick here, but I'm pretty sure that guy's already dead. Well, they... They... (laughs) She (laughs) couldn't wait for, like, two minutes. And, like, like, a lifelong career military individual... Couldn't wait for another two minutes for the scouting to be finished. It's just like totally obsessed with like being the only one that can solve the problem. And uh, she does that a lot during the early seasons. Um, She kind of dials it back after a while, which is nice to see. That's good. Yeah. But well, Teal'c and Jackson don't really do anything to stop her. They're like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, No, what's funny is they even mention it. They're like, Jackson's like, we probably should have stopped her. And Teal'c's like, we we would have failed. We would yes. have failed. We would have failed. I was like, okay, I get it. She wanted to go in. She wanted to go in all guns a blazing. And she knew. I, I mean, at this point in her in her character arc, she's really still trying to prove herself to her teammates. So I kind of get this response. I mean, you've already proven yourself pretty hardcore. And and we've seen that we saw her fight to the death against her yeah. gun in a couple of episodes ago. She was kidnapped. Yeah, you don't need to prove you're a badass. Around. We get it. But now Take you want to prove you're a hero too. So that's cool. I get it. So she goes down and she punches this dude right in the face. And what's really weird is that the guys who are standing around, the ones in the robes and stuff. Speaking of robes, it's it, what, what kind of friggin' <laughs> I, this is frustrating me a little bit. This is a, a weird inconsistency with the whole episode. Like, what age of man are we in? Because we go from 
straw hats and and potato head people to uh, robes from ancient Rome and ancient Egypt. They look like linen robes, like long linen robes. Yeah, what what is that? <laughs> it looked like these people were barely past the Stone Age, and now it looks like they're way into the Iron and Bronze Age? What the hell is going on? So, uh, like, yeah, the age of man that they're in is a little specious, and I think they could have stood to have had, like, an extra small set piece or two if they were looking to do stuff like that that showed, like, maybe this planet didn't have that issue forever, right? Which issue? Like, the, the solar The ultraviolet radiation. solar radiation. Yeah, that, um, that could have been better explained, but... It's just like which 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 age of man are we are we standing in here? And it was a little inconsistent in this episode, and that's probably my only real critique of this whole episode. Um, but yeah, I I don't think it takes away from the episode though. No, because um, it, you, you it hardly, really is. Unless you're rewatching it, you hardly notice it. Right. It's it's laser focused on uh, like the inner person politics, and it does a really good job of that. So mm. really nothing uh, to be upset with. I mean, the whole episode is a, a small portion of what of the bigger arc of being a god or falsely being a god. This happened. This this theme is throughout the entire series of what it means to be a um, a god slash posing as a god. It becomes a deep spiritual question, and it becomes even more apparent uh, in sorry in seasons nine and ten. When the Gould are are not really in the picture anymore, and they're facing a they're facing off against an enemy that is uh, equally as powerful as a god, and actually have powers as opposed to just utilizing technology. So that it becomes even more prevalent that spiritual side of the whole the whole series. But this this is one of those uh, episodes which is really nice to see because you get it from a human context. Because um, uh, Colonel Jonas Hansen or Captain Jonas Hansen is pretending to be or posing as a god, and we see it from the human perspective, where it's real easy to push someone over in, into that. Uh, I mean, he has to have certain personality traits because when you look at Jack O'Neill, you would think that he could accidentally fall into this category because he did special ops for years, and Jonas Hansen did black ops for years, and there's probably a certain certain amount of time before someone breaks and turns into uh, takes enough life that he thinks he can control everything. You know, you know what I'm saying? I Did do. I, okay, I, was, I do. I thought I lost I you there for a second. So we were just about to get to the point where Carter literally walks up to this dude, punches him straight in the face, and says that was refreshing. All, <laughs> all badass and shit. You gotta love the '90s uh, humor there. Yeah, that was refreshing on a hot desert planet. That was refreshing. Or slash slash desert planet. It's like there's desert with caves and then there's uh, jungle with no living creatures at all. I would have to say if they're having that much sun exposure, there's probably a pretty decent sized desert on that planet. So after this, uh, obviously Cat Carter gets captured because literally a whole bunch of dudes in robes walk up and just like Snatcher. Uh, the prisoner that the dude was beating ends up like disappearing. Um, going off to a lake where Daniel, Teal'c, and Jack managed to find him. But let's go to what Carter ends up doing. 
uh, Carter. Yeah, what is Carter up to? <laughs> well, Carter gets taken prisoner and then obviously gets taken straight to Jonas Hansen, who then reveals his master villain plot uh, to her. He's been having these people slave over this temple for ever, trying to figure out how to turn this ancient machine on that supposedly uh, does some sort of shield that turns the sky orange and protects everyone from the UV radiation. Essentially acts as a uh, mechanical um, mechanical atmosphere. Uh, well, it just sounds like an atmospheric filter. For the the UV radiation, yeah, essentially it's just acts as a. As now its own. I I would like to know if that's like a hard barrier type energy shield or just like a kind of like a alternative radiation that cancels out the UV radiation. I would assume it's some sort of filter because things can get in and out of said filter. For instance, I'm fairly certain that. It's not really... I mean, you probably could walk in and out of it. Although, to be fair, I don't really know. Because when they do eventually turn it on, it seems like it goes from the gate all the way across the valley. So we never really see them go outside of it at all. They should just have some birds come by. Oh, wait. (laughs) Oh, wait. Everything's dead on the planet except for these people. (laughs) Yeah, which poses Aww. problems in and of itself. Because what the hell are they eating? Um, I think you answered that question. Yeah. Well, I besides the fact that he reveals the master plot, my favorite part uh, about that whole sequence of events is when she gets there and he's like staring at these cave drawings, and then he's go- then he goes, "I really wish I knew what these meant," and I'm like, <laughs> "Dude, it's a picture of a fucking antelope." And a couple of people. I'm pretty sure it's a hunt that they just decided to draw. <laughs> it's it, not that big a deal. They were just documenting what's in the valley. It's not a big fucking deal. <laughs> they weren't exactly crazy drawings. What does this mean? What does this mean? Another one of those potato mountain, or mesh potato mountain <laughs> plot devices. Yes, anyway. yeah. So, so I'm like, okay. Mashed potato or mashed potato? Mashed, mashed, mushed, mashed, mashed potato. potatoes? Smashed potatoes. So, that that whole sequence doesn't <laughs> quite make sense. But then he reveals that the whole idea was to have these people work themselves to death until he figured out how to turn this machine on. <laughs> That's a solid plan. That's exactly what was going on. I mean, he may not have said it in so many words, but... He was working these people to death to buy himself some time to turn this machine on so that he could actually look like a god to them because he brought the orange sun. But they already think he's a god. I know, but this would have solidified it, essentially, because he would have been the only one who could control it. And it's exactly... It, it's straight out of the Gould playbook. Having... Couldn't, couldn't he have just done what he, they did in uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court and just, like, bust out a, a lighter and be like, ooh... Fire in my hand. <laughs> uh, he probably did that at one point, but this would yeah, make I can see that. This would make it much more distinct that he's the uh, he's the god. And then, I think I think this sequence where Carter grabs a gun and and like uh, points it at him, talks her down, slash manipulates her in such a way. 
Like, I'm not certain that he has the same amount of control that he thinks he does. Because in Carter's eyes, she's like, I'm not going to shoot a man that I used to... Well, I think she probably just feels bad for him that he's, like, this delusional. I think she's just not... She's not a cold-blooded killer, regardless of what this person has done. He's not, like... He's not worth the bullet. Yeah, so she's... It's not that he's in control. It's that she's deciding she's not really interested in killing him. She'd rather see him probably face some sort of justice as opposed to just die. Because then he wouldn't get it. He wouldn't get the reason that he's... uh... Yeah. So... Then he goes into this giant explanation after he gets, he's like, oh, it's you, you're the one with the gun. You're the one who had, who appeared to have all the power, but I was the one who was in control all the time. That's the power of a true god. and like That's, that's the power of being able to inflate your own ego. Yeah, that's the power of being a jackass who thinks he can do anything he wants. And Carter's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You can you can have this moment. I just didn't feel like shooting you. And that's that's pretty much where we get the sense that he is fully engaged in the fact that he's a god. At one point, you kind of thought maybe he he knows he's posing, and he's just doing it for the flair and the panache. But no, he's fully into it. He's gone full Lord of the Flies. With blood blisters and shit all over him, and Marlon Brando, yeah, Lord, Lord of the Marlon Brando at this time. Brando, yeah, he's got full Brando at this point, and he does a really good job. Like this is William Russ at his best. Like he oh, was, oh yeah, no, it's exceptional. This was exceptional acting, especially for this kind of television show. Cut to um, Teal'c, uh, Daniel, Jack, and Jamala, uh, who is played by what's his name? What's his name? Zaf Haji. I'm not really sure if he does much of anything else. Um, no, no, he doesn't really have a whole lot going on for him. But Zaf Haji, uh, who I thought was a pretty good actor. Um, I guess he does a bunch of uh, voiceover stuff. Oh, that explains some. That explains a little bit. Well, anyway, cut to them, and they ask essentially what the plan is, and uh, Jamala ends up explaining what's going on. He's having us build his temple so that he can turn the sky orange. And then Teal'c's like, turn the sky orange. And he's like, yes, the sky. And he's like, I know what the sky is. <laughs> that whole sequence. Yes, the sky. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, well, we know what the sky is. But we're going to turn it orange. And then, It's like the sky. But orange. And then Teal'c uh, decides. He knows exactly what uh, is going on. And then he draws a I mean, it looked like a semicircle on top of a trapezoid to me. <laughs> it, the the this it's, particular part is so great. And uh, he's just doodling, and and then uh, Jamala is like, "That's a great drawing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that did. That was. <laughs> I couldn't tell if he was making fun of him or what, but it sounded like it. Contextually, it sounded exactly like he was making fun of him for this. But he draws a semicircle on top of a trapezoid, and Jamala automatically knows what he's what he's talking about. I'm yeah, like, that could then, have been any number of things. Teal'c's response to it is so great too. He's just like, "Thank you, thank you." <laughs> he's just like happily goes back to drawing. <laughs> uh, Jamala explains that they found it near the temple, 
and it's it's currently or they found it near the gate actually and um it's currently sitting in what's his name's palace i think or whatever i don't know is his mega cave his man cave literal man cave in this case his, his, his ultra cave yeah his ultra man cave in this case um na, 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 na. and cut back to um jansen joe hansen joe jonas hansen but i thank you <laughs> cut back to him and carter and he's like carter you gotta figure out how to turn it on and then she's like uh is that all you wanted me for was my brains that's essentially that. That's that's what they didn't say, but that was the context you got, or the implication of what was happening. It's like it's all you wanted me was for my brains, and he's like, "No, of course I wanted you for your beauty, and I wanted you to to make you my goddess at some point." And I'm like, "What a reversal of fortune in that case." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, I just want you for your brains because you're the only one who can figure out how to turn this damn thing on." And she's like, okay. And she does all of her tests and stuff. And then cut back to uh, Teal'c and Jamala. And Teal'c explains that, yeah, there's there's one, but there's always a second one. Because they bounce it back and forth, this the shield. And uh, Hanson doesn't know that at this point, which is awesome. So it's like, ah, oh, we can trade for that information. So at that point, they decide to get Jack in disguise, I believe, at this point in time. So Jack trades clothes with Jamala, uh, and for some reason the clothes look cleaner. I don't know about you. Did, <laughs> did you notice they were whiter for some reason? They did appear whiter. That's... And then, uh, <laughs> then O'Neill slaps on some blackface. Yep, yep. Then he decides to go dirty face. We're not going to call it blackface. It was dirty face. He takes some dirt, just rubs it on his face all over the place. It doesn't look like dirt. It looks like he's using a makeup thing. It kind of looked like coal. Like he took a piece of coal and he was just like, charcoaling up his face a little bit didn't really look like dirt so much but essentially he was just giving himself dirty face he was turning into pig pen with, uh, yes, clean, with yes. cleaner cleaner clothes for some reason or whatever reason yeah it's this totally clean outfit that's it, never been worn yeah like it was never worn even though it was just on jamala who had his ass beat not half an hour ago in in a dirty in a dirty, dirty mi- in a dirty pit mine <laughs> <laughs> Jack goes over and he uh, he manages to rescue Connor uh, again, and then they're making their way when Baker shows up, all hot and heavy, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're not uh, we're not gonna allow that. You're coming with us." And then they take Jack over to uh, Jonas Hansen, and Jonas goes, "Yeah, just shoot him. I don't need him. Just shoot him. Yeah, just shoot him. Just shoot him." And he's just like, no, if I turn it on, will you spare his life? And then, yeah, he goes, oh, sure, fine, whatever. I'm I'm a merciful god in his narcissistic way. I'm a merciful god. <laughs> um, I mean, spoiler alert here, people. He ends up wanting to kill them anyway. He's just going to execute them in a very fine fashion. Uh, Unbeknownst to his people. He's going to kill them. And he's going to make a big show of it. So, uh... Carter does manage to figure out how to turn it on while Jack, uh, sorry, not Jack, Teal'c and Dan decide to go find the other one so that in case he does turn the one on, he doesn't go crazy and start shooting up people when it doesn't do anything. I assume that's the reason that they were going to turn on the second one, right? Well, it, it seemed like they were either doing it for that reason or to, to undercut uh, him. So when he tries to turn it on, that the people will 
like turn on him a little bit, and then yeah, so they, they can turn it on. And yeah, it was like, like they they no, could pretend he like, did it. Yeah, they could pretend like they were the people in charge, and then show that it's just uh, a machine that can be turned on and off by anybody, and we can show you how to do it. Uh, cut to Jackson and Teal'c. Uh, with Jamala discovering the new newly found device and coming up with a plan to save Jack, Connor, and Carter on their own. And then we get to see this little ritual that they're going to play. Like, all of a sudden, the Stargate is flipped over on its side. Yep. Like, that's just nuts in and of itself. It's nice to see it in a different direction, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I thought it was really interesting to have it uh, just changed in orientation. Yeah. I was trying to like thinking of what would happen if you threw someone through it. Like, would they like fly out? Like what, what would that look like? Yeah. But I, how did really I, I guess my question it. is, how do you know it's the front? Like what happens if they turned it in the wrong direction? I mean, they never really explained what would happen out the other the, direction. They never really explained what happens if you go in through the wrong direction. Right. I don't know. Does I don't know if spatially. I don't know if spatially it matters which direction you go in because the wormhole is the wormhole. Right. A black hole from any other side looks like a black hole. Three dimensional. I mean, three dimensionally, it doesn't actually matter which side of a, a wormhole you go in from. I suppose. Well, I, I suppose since we don't know what going into a, a wormhole actually looks like for real. That's true. Uh, that uh, that particular a, piece of information would be valuable. That's a, I mean, this is a good, this is a good thought experiment yeah. about what uh, what in the hell would happen if you were to go in through the wrong direction. I suppose it could kill you. You could be broken up by the event horizon. Back to what we were what we were doing. <laughs> uh, Hansen is going to execute them in a most spectacular fashion using the Stargate. Uh, so he activates the Stargate back to Earth, but he is going to not put the IDC code in, which means. Guess what? We've got Soup of the Day, Jack O'Neill, and Lieutenant Connor. Mmm, <laughs> Yes, very much gazpacho. Uh, we've got a little bit of Irish gazpacho and some African gazpacho. I still want to know what happens when uh, who cleans up after that. It's probably Maybe Siler. they can uh, visit that in whatever new thing they're going to do. That's true. They could do some really crazy stuff in the new in the new series, if they ever decide to create yeah, one. Make it. Yeah. So Hanson's about to execute them. He opens the wormhole and he's going to push them through. And then boom, Daniel Jackson comes out of nowhere. And he says, this douche isn't a God. <laughs> this douche is no God. He's just using technology that seems more advanced. And then he takes the gun apart and all these people, ooh and ah, it's like, oh. I mean, even even from a perspective of not knowing what a gun is for, taking it apart doesn't really prove anything. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's like in Emancipation, the, they had a gun, they showed it to the guy, and they gave it to him, and it, he still didn't really understand it. No, he just knew it made a boom sound, and he enjoyed it. Right. He had no idea that something flew out of it at... Uh, 100 meters per second, or some ridiculous number. Oh, it's it's, uh, 900 something meters per second. I was reading Destiny stuff, and they were talking about muzzle velocity. Nice. But uh, so, 
that that if that doesn't prove the point, then they're like then they try to get Hanson to turn his machine on, and he turns it on, but nothing is happening, and he's like, "What's wrong with it?" And yeah, I know he he whispers into Carter's ear, "What's wrong with it? Fix it." And she's like, "I haven't got a goddamn clue what's wrong with it. I don't know what this machine does." He literally <laughs> just pushed me into it and said, "Fix it." Like fix it, fix it. That's fix like it, fix it, fix it. Fix it, fix it, fix it. Like on a grand cosmic scale of things, that's like asking a. It's hard to hard to determine. I would say that's like asking a caveman to, to develop rocket science, or maybe, you know, like maybe not your that dog to fix your PC. No, I, maybe it's not so much caveman to rocket science. It's like asking a Bronze Age level person to figure out how a computer works. They even got a fucking clue even where to start. Like, it's cool, it's pretty, it's a nice little device, but what the hell does it do? Uh, I mean, Carter's got a bit of more of, uh, of an understanding of how the circuitry works with the with well, yeah, she, gate she building saw technology. The, the gates, circuit boards, and I guess they look similar, but like... But she still has no idea. That doesn't mean you know She has absolutely no on. idea what the hell it does. Like, I know how a phone works, but I have no idea what the hell is in the phone. Well, exactly. Like, you, you could know, like, exactly the parts in there, but it doesn't mean you know how to fix it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. In reverse. You may not know how the damn thing works, but you may know exactly what the parts and pieces are that go into it. It's like, dude, this isn't going to happen right away. You should have thought this through and tested it out before showing it to, off to everybody. But you didn't. He needs his money, and he needs it now. Well, it's not going to get any money. There's no money to be had. There's power. Seven, seven cash now. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, in this case, I think William Russ's acting prowess is is on full display. As his lies begin to unravel, so does he, and it is like perfectly synchronized. It's beautiful. It's it's perfect paranoia of someone who's about to lose control of a group of people. And he's like, no, they're lies. They're demons. <laughs> he goes completely out of out, out on left field there. You're a demon. Uh, it really shows his acting talent. And I, I really wish he had gotten something more than just like Boy Meets World. Because he was great in Boy Meets World. But he would have been so, so much better in something big. I would just look up the uh, the list of um, credits he has because there's like there's so there's, much on there. He's on there for so much, and it's all it's like one offs, a couple episodes here, a couple episodes there for some really popular shows. I would check him out in all these things now, just because of how good he was in this episode. So yeah, absolutely. So his lies begin to unravel as people start to question it. And then um, Jamala signals Teal'c to, uh, so he shoots up into the air with the, the staff weapon, and Teal'c gets the signal, and he turns on the other one, and then all of a sudden, the orange sky. And then he's, Daniel's like, we're going to show you how it works. I'm not, I'm not a god. This guy's not a god. He's just a dick, is what he should say, but he didn't say that. <laughs> shoulda. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> and so... Uh, from there, Hanson goes off the rails and is going to take Carter with him by jumping into the gate, is what it looks like. So Jack goes to the res- comes to the rescue and like tackles this son of a bitch so hard. 
It was it was so good. Uh, it was almost here. It was almost football style tackle. It was great. And then I guess he gets he does get pushed in there, doesn't he? Uh, the people throw him in there. Oh yeah, his people pick him up, and they toss him in there. And back to the straw people. The straw people are back. Those dudes with the masks show up again. But everyone else is wearing robes. So weird. It is weird. It's a it's weird really inconsistency, weird. and you won't really notice it, but you you kind of will the second time around. And that's pretty much it for the episode. After they after they kill him, Jack kind of points out that uh, if you kill uh, killing someone isn't really worth it, uh, because as soon as you start killing and you start the next person you kill, you get one step closer to being Jonas Hansen. So right, there are better ways to punish people. Yeah. But this is a, a fantastic episode that shows the overall arc, arcing story of um, what makes this show really good. What it means to be a god, to have faith, all that kind of thing. In a science fiction way, which is very interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, that. I think that's more of a touchstone. I think it's definitely uh, a good focus for, like, um, you know, what even a small amount of power will do to people. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like you said, this has got some serious, uh, loosely based story arc from uh, Apocalypse Now. It's 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 a good episode. And um, in terms of rewatchability, there, Ry, what are you going to give this one on your scale from one to five? Oh, I gotta say it's probably like four point five. I would definitely watch this again. I'm gonna give this one a four. Uh, I'm gonna go with solid numbers mostly. You may see a, a, a point five every once in a while, but I'm going to go with a solid four on this one. Because... I'm going to go real loose. It's going to be a <laughs> lot of decimal points. A lot of decimal points. But the reason I went with four on this one is because uh, it's not one of my go-to episodes. Like, you know how when you, you, you've you only got, like, one hour to watch a show? Like, you're on lunch and you have nothing better to watch. you got no new shows to watch. Uh, there's nothing really going on and you've got a whole hour to kill and you just want to watch something. This yeah, isn't my, yeah. this isn't a go-to episode, but this is a great rewatch episode when I've got binge time to go with. And there will be a, f- a couple of fives. They're gonna, there's going to be some fives. Like the Torment of Tantalus, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a five. <laughs> That's a go-to in season one for me. That one I will, I will pick right out. Don't care about the other ones. But, uh, yeah, that's all. Uh, that's all I have for this episode. Um, anything else you'd like to add there, Ray? Oh yeah, check out our Twitter and like just tell us what you think, uh, what you like, what you didn't like. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our little podcast about uh, Stargate and uh, comic books. Yep. And you know, thank you. We really appreciate you. We- turn- Tuning in. We do appreciate the amount of people that we do get to turn in on this. Um, so yes, join us uh, again for next Stargate Sunday. Ooh, what's the episode next week? The next Cold episode. Lazarus. Cold Lazarus. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to be a very good one. So Cold Lazarus, join us next week on that one. Uh, join us for Comic Book Fridays this upcoming Friday. Ryan, what do we got going on? We, Ooh, we are going to continue to talk about Carnage, but we're going to dive into uh, a little bit of lore on Venom and symbiotes. Ah, yes. Join us for the symbiote talk. 
And today we are uh, brought to you by uh, uh, by Toe Cramps. Toe Cramps. Toe Cramps. They're never convenient. For when you're just too comfortable, toe cramps. Get it. When you've just gotten comfortable in just the right position. When you're when you've laid when you've laid down after a hard day's work. Toe cramps. The assholes of your body. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so please join us again, uh, for Comic Book Fridays or Stargate Sundays. Uh, join us on Twitter, Facebook. At seven days two RSG. That's the number two RSG. Um, now that's all I got. Let's wish you seven days to to rock and stone, Guardians. Rock and stone. Later. Bye bye. Yeah.